This is really about being free to create what you want your life to look like. We each are our own hero. And how do we take the challenges that come our way and see those as the birth process of us becoming heroic? Can you meet that judgment that ultimately will surface with neutrality? This is the Wall Street Coach Podcast with Kim Ann Curtin. Aloha, everybody. I am the Wall Street Coach. I host this podcast and I coach a select group of traders and entrepreneurs to help them define and secure success with less pain. I just launched my Discord room, TraderHeroJourney.com. Go and check it out and see if it's for you. Welcome back, everybody, to the Wall Street Coach Podcast. My name is Kim Ann Curtin. I'm very honored today to have Jason Shapiro here. A shout out to Helter Kuna, who introduced the both of us. Jason, of course, is featured in Jack Schwaker's Unknown Market Wizards. And it's really an honor to have you here. Jason, thank you for coming to my podcast. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. One of the things I just want to tell you guys about Jason is that besides being featured in Jack's book, he's known as the contrarian trader in chapter two, but Jason has 30 years of trading experience with his most recent years trading contrarian style approach that has zero correlation with any other trading strategy in the market. And he has had, you correct me if I'm wrong, Jason, zero losing years over the past 20 years. Let's not jinx it, but so far, yes, that is the well, case. Well, luck, what if we have to? Jason also owns and manages a successful commodity trading advisory business, and you can find him at crowdedmarketreport.com. Believe it or not, Jason, the place I want to start first in this conversation, because we're going to go over to Twitter space in a few minutes, is how did your time in a Burma monastery impact you as a trader and your trading. I mean, I'm not going to say it directly impacted me as a trader, other than it impacted me as a person. And my trading is a direct sort of function of me as a person. So in that way, it, it impacted me. How did it impact me? You know, it was a very eye-opening, very humbling thing. It, it, it really opened me up to the world of, of meditation, I think was the biggest thing that my, my time there did. And that's something that I still participate in um, as much as I can, hopefully on a daily basis at the least. And uh, so if we get into that whole meditation thing, that really helps me as a trader, I think, because, you know, trying to stay mindful, trying to stay focused, trying, trying to stay grounded and all that, I think is, is very important. Trying to take emotion and, and all these emotions out of what you're trying to do, I think is a very important thing in, in trading and, and being disciplined. For sure. What's so fascinating to me about your style, besides what you speak about in Jack's book, uh, and Jack also had a big impact on me. I know you said that Jack's uh, books are what kind of awakened you to go in the direction of becoming a trader. I think Jack's had this like huge impact on so many traders. I'm just curious though, because Jack even spoke to how your specific kind of style that you've exploited the flaw that's in the emotion-based trading decisions of so many participants. Talk a little bit more about what Jack meant when he described you that way. So really, I mean, 
A lot of people I find when they're trading are trying to be smart and that's good, I guess, except that I don't really think that that works very well over time in the markets. I personally like to say, I'm not trying to be smart. I'm not trying to be dumb. I am trying to find the people who I think have a high probability of losing money. And I'm just going the opposite way that they're doing, you know, it's not anything that makes me a great forecaster of, of macroeconomic trends or anything like that. You know, it's really just an observation of behavioral things that, that I've seen in the past. Like this is what a losing trade looks like, not just from watching other people do it, but from me myself doing those type of trades and learning that these trades have a, over time, have a high probability of losing. So I'm looking for people that are doing those type of trades and I'm just taking the opposite side. If they're going to lose, then, then I'll try to win off of them. That's, that's really how I approach it. One of the quotes that's just so amazing as you kind of reconciled with your early days of trading, you said there was the speech that Greenspan gave and you said, well, see, Greenspan and I were the only ones who get it. You said, I really was seeing myself as being the smartest guy in the room along with Greenspan. And yet that is what bit you in the keister that. So talk a little bit about like that shift, that mindset shift when you realized, oh, again, like you just said, trying to play smart. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because that same exact type of thing is going on right now. You know, people are very bearish the stock market and they keep hearing the Fed guys come out and say these things and like, oh, you see, you see, this is why you got to be bearish. This is why you got to be bearish. And meanwhile, the stock market keeps going up. So, you know, I think it just gets to a point where if you're honest about your trading and if you really do a good job of looking, of keeping records of your trading and, and your P&L and going through it, it, you have to get to a point where it's like, you know what? I just want to make money. <laughs> I, I don't want to do anything but that in trading. I mean, that's the idea of trading, right? There's other things to do in life where money is not the important thing, but in trading, that's what the game is. So once you can kind of make that jump, I feel like, you know, hey, forget all this, right? Forget me wanting to make trades based on my thoughts and just make trades based on, I want to make money. Then I think you can really, that's a big shift. And that was a big shift for me. You know, obviously I'd never went into trading, go, I want to lose money. Right. Uh, just the approach of how to make money over time that, that changed. And today's April 5th, 2023 guys. So you have some context. Tell us how long it took you to shed any of the thoughts as opposed to focusing on what's going to make you money. What, what was your timeline? You've been in it a long time. Just give us a quick overview. I mean, I'd say it was probably after the first, I'm trying to think, it was probably a good seven, eight years of, you know, making money, losing money, making money, losing money, making money, losing money before I came to the conclusion of this is ridiculous and I'm getting nowhere. So let's really, and I had always done a good job of sort of keeping notebooks of my trades and, and all that. And so I went and really analyzed what was working and, and what wasn't working and, and tried to, at the very least, eliminate as many of the things that weren't working as I could mm -hmm. and be left with the things that hopefully were working. Yeah. Yeah. Do, do you find that there is this shedding of the ego? that's really necessary for this 
to work for traders? I think it's a hundred percent. Yeah. I think that's probably the most important thing to do. Shedding of the ego, forget the ego, just make money. And when you get, and when you make money, you better realize that even that can be fleeting. So don't get an ego about that either. Mm -hmm. Totally. Totally. What do you feel? Talk about the contrarian style, just as you describe it yourself, just how, how do you, Maybe you don't even try to explain to people, but to the traders listening to us, explain to them your kind of approach. So I'm looking for um, markets that are super crowded, as they say, right? I believe that the discounting mechanism in the market, people like to use price as the discounting mechanism. And look at it like, well, gee, this asset has gone up so much. Therefore, it must be ready to go down or something. I look at it like, well, gee, everyone in the world is long this thing already. So therefore, the risk reward is to go the other way, right? And clearly, a lot of times, a market has to go up a lot for people to get super long. But not always, right? And also, you have sometimes a market go up a lot and people do not get super long. So that ends up being a trend that has a high probability of continuing, right? Rather than fade it because the market's gone up a lot, wait until it's people have actually gotten into it. So that's kind of how I look at it. Uh, it's a question of crowdedness, not price, right? So I look at various data, like the commitment of traders report, um, is one that I use extensively that shows sort of the positioning in the futures markets. And I'm looking for extreme crowdedness as a market that I'm looking to enter. And then I don't enter it necessarily right away. The commitment to traders and all this is not perfect. Nothing's perfect. So I, at that point, I'm looking for market confirmation on top of that, which means something like, okay, so this market is showing me that everybody is long. Well, okay, so I'm looking to get short. But I start researching and I'm looking real close. Well, why is everybody getting long? What's sort of the fundamental story behind it? You know, they're getting long, whatever, wheat because the plantings are low or whatever it may be. And I'm looking for a piece of news to come out at that point that supports that view and the market not to go up on that. Right. So it's like, okay, here's every reason that the bulls want to be long was just given to them and the market can't go up anymore. And that's where I take the opposite side. So it's a combination of those two things. One, they're too crowded. Two, the market is now confirming that it, it can't go up anymore. You talk a little bit about being a contrarian just personally, that you're will even be talking to somebody who politically takes a position or has a perspective, and you will argue the other side of that maybe to educate them and maybe to just see holes in that argument. Do you think that that is your sweet spot, that you identified this contrarianness about you and your personality and then found this trading style so in sync with who you are? Do you think that all traders need to be that self-aware so they can find what fits them? A hundred percent. And I tell people, you know, I have this crowded market report where people come on and I show them kind of how I do stuff and I show them the data and we talk about this, but I'm like, listen, don't try to trade 
like I do, right? Because it's not going to work, right? Just like if I tried to trade like you do, it wouldn't work. I, I try, try to take these things that I look at or that I think are important and use them within your process. Don't try to mimic me. There's so many wrong things about trying to mimic me. First of all, what happens when I'm not here, right? Then what are you going to do, right? Second of all, my trading could go bad at any time. I don't know. You know what I mean? But the important thing is, yes, you have to trade you, but you can use this information to help you better trade you, I think. Mm -hmm. I think that's an, a, very, a very important thing. Do you feel that we talked very quickly at the beginning about the managing of emotions and how that, you know, really affects consistency? But yet your style seems to have, it's fascinating to me because in a way you have learned how to transcend your emotions, but it is others' emotions that are in a sense informing your trading style. So to talk about that, do you see that? that that's like, that's so fascinating to me. It's a weird place to live. <laughs> But fortunately, at least up to this point, it, it works in the markets. It doesn't really work in popularity contests, you know? Think not. You know, it doesn't really work, uh, you know, being um, the guy everybody wants to, to hang out with at a party. You know? But fortunately, it does work in the markets, which is why I do this. You know, I'll tell you what, it doesn't work going to work for Goldman Sachs either, right? We have to play nice with everybody, right? The worst thing that happens a lot of times with me is I take some contrarian view on what somebody is telling me, forget about the market, on something else. And I'm taking that view because I recognize it, right? I've seen it before. I've seen somebody act this way before, so more than once. And so I feel like I kind of know what a high probability outcome is for those actions. And I tell the person, and the worst part is when I end up being right, now I'm the jerk, yeah. you know what I mean? Because I was right about it. And it's like, I'm not sitting there going, oh, I told you so, I told you so, you know, it's not really about that. So yeah, it, it, it's a, it's a strange place to live. But like I say, fortunately, the markets are here and it, it works in the market. So yeah. that's where I live. Well, it's really like living and working from a place of not being attached and profiting over everybody else's attachments. That's kind of what it is, yes. And, and let's not exaggerate it and say I'm completely in control of my emotions because I'll bring my wife in right now and she will tell me no, that's completely not the case. But I do try very hard. And look, then what are my emotions? My emotions are that your emotions are killing you. So that in itself is a bias and an emotion, right? Um, so I certainly have my biases and, and my emotions, but I do try to keep it out of this. You know what I mean? Like this has worked for me. This is a process that has worked for me. So I'm going to stick for, to this process over time, knowing that it doesn't always work, knowing that over time it works. And that's what I try to do. You know, you have to be sort of like that and to me, success in trading. It is about that. Yes, you have biases. As we yeah, but I mean, that's the point. To me, trading is about process. You have to have process yeah. and you have to stick to that process. Oh, and you have to have ways to make sure, obviously, that process is working. 
Because if you're doing a process that doesn't work, then you're going to lose. But you'll know because you have a P&L to manage, right? Which, uh, but it's all about finding a process and then sticking to that process come hell or high water. I missed three great trades in the last month that I can think of because they didn't completely fit my process. They were close. Yes. I wanted to put them on. I was yeah. waiting. It didn't happen. I missed them. Okay. Next. Yeah. I mean, so what? <laughs> it happens. Do you feel that the other way? That discipline, because you spoke at length about that discipline, you spoke specifically to how you don't break your stops. How long did it take you to become that disciplined? I'm still trying every single day. You know what I mean? It's just something that you have to do every single day. You know, every single day. It took me years and, and years and years to get here. And I still. I, I wouldn't say I ever break my stops. I never do that, but I do sometimes, I don't know, mess up on a disciplined basis. Like I don't get down on myself for having a losing trade because I know that that's part of this. I do get down on myself when I do something that is undisciplined. That is when I can't forgive myself. So I think that's what helps me be very disciplined is I can't forgive myself for, for making a trade that, that that's not part of my process and losing money on I can accept a losing trade. They happen all the time, you know, but I just cannot accept a losing trade that I shouldn't have made. It, it, it kills me. It keeps me up at night. I'm pissed off at myself. I'm pissed off at everybody around me. And so that helps keep my discipline. I, I very, very, very rarely do that. Yeah. You know, one of the things too, that really inspired me in your story is how, uh, you know, you struggled as a, a kid and that you, you know, really took a minute to blossom into what you were going to be doing. And I really loved how, you know, you shared how your mom just sort of held the space for like, hey, he's going to grow out of it. I, I think you and how you've succeeded for yourself on your own terms is such a testament to everybody giving ourselves a little bit of space that like maybe we're not going to find our stride early in life, but that it still can be found. It's an inspiring story. Even the bumps with those different firms you were with and not feeling fully self-expressed, like you just have so many stories that speak to like the longevity, like stay in the game. How, how did you do that? for all the years you did, especially in high school and stupidity, stubbornness. I, I, I don't know, you know, I just, and you know, you get to my mom and, and my mom and I have a, you know, an interesting relationship, but when I look back at it, and now that I have been a parent quite a few times over and you know how it is, you have different kids and they're all different and they all get into different stuff. This one's a straight A student. This one won't go to school. Right. And how you handle that. It, it's very difficult. And my mother who was a psychologist, a child psychologist, by the way, she went and, 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 and got help. You know, I was such a, a bad kid, you know, like I look back at it. I'm like, if, if I had a kid like this, I wouldn't know what the hell to do, you know? And my friends consistently laugh at me every time my kids are getting in trouble. My friends are like, so what do you say about it? Like, what are you going to say? Like, you know, which is kind of silly because just because you made mistakes doesn't mean you want the kids to make the same mistakes, but. You know, the point is my mom went and, and, and got help from the doctor and, um, and he told her, you know, just leave him alone. 
just leave, let them be. And I think that all of us who are parents know that that is probably the single hardest thing to do, right? You want to help your child, right? You want to get involved if they're, if they're not going to school, then you want to bring them to a tutor. You want to sit them down and make them do their homework. You want to drive them to school in the morning to make sure that they go there, right? You want to do these things, right? Because you feel like you're helping, right? You don't want to sit back and be like, oh, hands off. Just let the kid, you know, mess up. Right. But you know what? That's what my mom did. And, and, and she took a lot of slack for it. You know, she used to have to come to school all the time because I was getting in trouble. And, you know, they, they were calling me at the school. I got kicked out of schools all the time. She has to, poor woman used to have to show. There's some people who, you know, like dad was an Ivy League guy. My mom was an Ivy League woman, you know, and like they had to come and my dad didn't because he just said, forget this. But my mom used to have to come. I was getting kicked out of schools and having meetings with the principals and they're kicking me out. And the poor woman had to sit through all of this and never forced upon me, you know, just kind of let me go. Just like her, her doctor said, you know, let him go and let him find himself. And that to me is the most amazing thing that my mother ever did. And now that I'm an adult and I've had kids, and I've said that to her many times. I said, mind you, what you did there is just quite simply the most amazing thing I, I, I've ever seen. I don't think I could ever do that. I had it. My son, when he was a kid, he was rebelling a little bit, not to the extent that I did, but, and I used to freak out. You know what I mean? He used to just sit there and play computer games all the time. So I took his computer and threw it out the, you know, third story freaking window of my house. You know what I mean? Which is all stupid. And, and funny enough, when I stopped doing that, and I just embraced what he was doing is when things kind of turned around for him and look at, you know, now he went to school he graduated and he works for a gaming company and he's doing very well. Right. So it's, it's amazing. It's really amazing. The human psyche and, and how you, how you want to handle things, what you think is the right way to do it. And actually what may be the right way to do it, maybe two very separate things. And yeah, it's a, it's a testament to Joanne Shapiro. God bless her. Yeah, God bless her is right. And I'm so impressed too, because it feels like her ability to stay unattached perhaps is what informs your ability to stay unattached in the ways that you do as a contrarian. It's possible, you know, it also probably led her to, you know, to drink. <laughs> well, she had to cope the best she could. I had to do something, that's for damn sure. Okay. We're gonna we're gonna hop over to to Twitter's face, but there was just something there I wanted to say about that with your mom because the concept of how but anyway, I, I probably lost my train of thought, but I just I just find that oh the thing is at that time, this is what I wanted to speak to, as you as you started to kind of, you know, you, it sounded like college was not a fit for you either. And yet, when you finally decided to kind of make a shift for yourself personally, you were reading, am I remembering correctly, like an economics book a day or every two days? Like your capacity for knowledge was all there. It just wasn't going to express itself in the formulaic cultural ways, but it was all there for you to just pick up economic books and start plowing through them. Like, you know, that's the romantic version of it. And it's true that my last couple of years in college, I got very serious. And, um, when I get 
serious in something. I wanted to go a little bit overboard. So yeah, I was sitting there all day and, and in the bookstore and Barnes and Noble, I was plowing through books at that time. Yeah. I was reading a lot of books back then, but the truth is it's because I, I got stymied. you know what I mean? Me and my buddies were drunk and we got thrown in jail one night and, you know, we sat in the pen all night and I sat there and watched a bunch of people do things. You know, I grew up in a pretty privileged situation. My, my, my parents weren't like multimillionaires, but you know, we were living an upper middle-class life. Right. And I sat in the pen in downtown Tampa all night and watched what was going on. I was like, geez, like maybe it's time for me to stop this, right? Because if this is where I'm going, this is not, I am not ready for this, right? I was 19 years old and I came out of that the next morning when they bailed me out. And, um, yeah, I, I started taking things a lot more seriously at that point yeah. because that's not where I wanted to end up. <laughs> that scared the crap out of me. It, you know, scared straight. Remember that experience? Yeah, no, I'm not cut out for, you know, some suburban boy from Jersey is, is not cut out to be, uh, spending his life in, uh, in the penitentiary quite probably. So, but, but I think what's so fascinating is that everybody has their own timeline of coming to terms with what they're going to create for themselves in their lives. And it feels to me that that was a pivotal moment, but your capacity for knowledge the genius of what you've created for yourself with your business and your training, it was in there the whole time. And you came to that place where you were ready to pivot. But And, you know, I think that subconsciously I always knew that. You know, I was getting in trouble and I wasn't getting good grades and I wasn't doing anything, but I never like sat there and thought like, oh, I'm so stupid and I'm a loser. I'm like, I'm just a guy that likes to have fun. I'm not listening to anybody. I mean, I didn't ever like have thoughts and they used to tell me that amateur psychologist, you know, my brother who, who's a very smart guy and a very good guy and a successful guy. He was always like, you know, he told the line. He was a good student and he went to great schools and, and everyone was like, oh, you know, you live in the shadow of your brother. I never felt that way at all. I was like, my brother's a wimp, man. Like, you know what I mean? I like to go out and party. You know, he likes to sit home and do homework. I don't think I live in the shadow of my brother. I like to do what I do and he likes to do what he does. You know what I mean? Like I never felt that way. So even through me not doing anything, I wasn't like sitting there trying to get straight A's and failing. I I don't remember bringing a book home from school. (laughs) So, you know, I never felt like I didn't have it in me. It was just a question of, I kind of want to have fun right now. And and for sure, for sure. And that's to me just such a testament to Each of us are going to be such unique people and we're going to interact with life and rules and templates our own way. But what's so fascinating to me is how you did this, you and what you created now for yourself and your strategy. It's so in alignment with who you have always been. And that to me just seems like a no brainer for every trader to figure out themselves and find that strategy that suits their temperament. Truthfully, I feel like for everyone. I think that's the most important thing one can do in life. Truthfully, I feel blessed that I have been able to do that. There have been, I can tell you a lot of peaks and valleys. It's not, it's not easy to stick to who you are. You know what I mean? Because you have to pay bills, you know, you have family, you have kids, you got to pay bills. You can't always just live your dream, so to speak. Right. Right. Although I did that now, again, that's the romantic side of it. The truth is Nobody wanted to hire me. So like, I didn't have much choice. You know, I was such a contrarian or whatever, right. That, you know, a big part of people hiring you. And I've learned this later is that you look at the person and say, can I sit next to this person all day? 
right? That's the main thing if they're going to hire you, right? And I don't think that the answer was yes with me, you know? This guy's a loud mouth. He's opinionated. He, he argues all the time. Who the hell wants to sit next to a guy like that, right? So they wouldn't hire me. So I didn't really have much of a choice either. The Remetic says, oh, I stuck to my guns and I stuck to who I was and I never sold out. And I never, well, I tried to sell out a few times because I was freaking broke and I had kids that wanted food, right? And I couldn't sell out because nobody wanted to hire me. So I had to do this. So, yeah, that, that, that is just so fantastic that you're so forthright about that. And, uh, who am I going to lie to at this point in life, right? I would agree. I would agree. All right, we're going to go over to Twitter space. This All right, is thank you. This amazing conversation. We just did 30 minutes with the Zoom video. Great conversation, absolutely riveting, which is part of why we read late to this conversation. Again, I just want to introduce Jason. A lot of you probably know who he is, but he has been introduced to me recently. I read about him in Jack Schwager's book, Unknown Market Wizards, but had a wonderful introduction from Helter Kuna and suggested I have him on the podcast. And boy, am I glad that I did. Jason, thank you so much to this Twitter space for coming. Oh, thanks for having me. Jason was featured, of course, in Jack Schwager's Unknown Market Wizards. He was a contrarian referenced in Chapter 2. He has 30 years of trading experience with his most recent years trading a contrarian style approach that has had zero, that has zero correlation with any other trading strategy in the markets. Jason has had zero losing years over the past 20. He owns and manages a successful commodity trading advisory business, and you can find his website, crowdedmarketreport.com. Jason, we were just talking a little bit about how Young people sometimes find their street stride a little bit later than others. Talk a little bit about you finding your stride as a traitor. I don't know if I found my stride yet, but <laughs> fair, you know, fair. Doing what I can do. You know, I don't know. It's just been a been a very long journey and um I'm just try to keep getting better as the years go on, I guess. Like I was saying before, it was some of it, you know, the romantic ideas that it, it was all by design, but the, the, the truth is it was not all by design. You know, a lot of it was the fact that I wasn't given much choice. You know, I got into trading. I enjoyed it. I had my ups and downs just like everybody does. And then I kind of really didn't have much of a choice because I wasn't a very hireable person. I didn't get along very well in organizations. And so I really needed to figure out the idea of if I can make money trading the markets while well, then. I wouldn't have to count on uh, these organizations to hire me so that I could make a living. So it was, you know, the great thing. Necessity is the mother of invention, right? Yep. So I feel like kind of how I lived, necessity was the mother of invention because being broke was not very fun. No, it's not fun. You offered Discord chat for subscribers. Talk about why you feel community is so important for traders. You know, that, that whole thing started because when I was in, in Jack Schwager's book, uh, a lot of people started to send me messages on LinkedIn and stuff, asking me if I could help them, you know, learn how to trade or whatever. And, and I am at a point where I, I do like to do that, but it was like, I was getting so many requests. There was no way I could sit there and help 200 people you know, because I have a job and I have a family and, and all that. So one of them said to me, well, what about if I start this, you know, webpage and I could kind of centralize it all. And I was like, you know, you want to do that? that? That sounds great. I'm game. Um, I have this newsletter that I write every weekend that I've always written for myself to kind of keep my thoughts in process for, for, for what I'm doing with trading. 
and we could distribute that and we could see where it goes. And he did that. And then he started this discord page on it, which I didn't quite frankly, even know what a discord page was being in my fifties, but we started it and, um, it's become a super cool part of my life. We have a lot of different people on the discord and, and they have a lot of different trading strategies and a lot of different ideas on the markets. And we talk and I, I feel like I learn as much from them as, as they learn from me. And it's become this whole great community. We have some really, really cool people on there, you know, as, as sort of you can call contrarian, I, I tend to think of it more of like trying to be an independent thinker as someone who, who sort of approaches thinking in life like that. It can be sort of a lonely place to be in life. And here we have a bunch of people who, who think like that and we all can talk and, and we can all look at things and approach things. And it's become, uh, it, it's become an essential part of my life. I love it. Tell you the truth. It's, 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 it's great. We, we focus a lot on trading and on market, but you know, we talk about other things as well, but certainly we try to focus on the markets and it's also really good because we have a few hundred people with eyes on stuff. Yeah. We're all helping each other. The, looking for the, the power of the, you know, yeah, the power of collective, the power of the collective. No, that's right. And so that's been a, a great thing as well. And I know that I'm not privy to private conversations that people have amongst themselves on there. But I know that th there are people on there that are talking to each other and sharing information with each other and a bunch of people who program, you know, trading programs and then they're sharing code with each other. And it's become just a great, great, great community. If people get on there and are kind of doing the obnoxious thing, I, I kick them right off. So with a very good group of people who are looking clearly to help themselves by making money in the markets but who understand that one of the great ways to help yourself is to help others. And that's kind of the theme. Yeah. And that's really the theme of the whole thing. So, and, and it's been working great. I, I just, I'm really proud of, of that whole part of it. I'm so, so happy that you started it. If you guys are enjoying this conversation with Jason Shapiro, the unknown market wizard from Jack Schwager's book, please tweet about it now to your audiences to come into this conversation. And please think about questions you want to ask Jason, because I definitely want to include your questions for him. Jason, you talk about using CNBC as a contrarian indicator. Please tell us more. As a contrarian take on things, you're trying to fade consensus, right? So you have to figure out where do you find consensus? And one of the places clearly that you can find consensus is by listening to not just CNBC, all media and listen to what they're saying. And you can start to build what the consensus is out there. A lot of times it's super easy because you can sit there and watch CNBC all day and every single person that comes on there will say the same exact thing. So it's pretty simple to develop where the consensus is. So now that you've built the consensus, now you can start to think about how to fade it as a contrarian, right? So that's kind of why I watch that. And, and uh, a lot of my friends who, you know, work at hedge funds and manage a lot of money and all this, they, they laugh at me. They're like, you know, how can you sit there and, and watch those people? You know, they're idiots. I'm like, well, that's precisely why I watch it. Cause like I always say, I'm not trying to be the smart guy. I'm just trying to be the guy who finds the dumb guy and go opposite him. So that's kind of why I spend a lot of time watching some of those TV shows. And really, I'm pretty sure what Jaylor means by that. You guys are going to have to watch part one of my podcast with him because why do we talk about that in depth and especially about how I am perceiving 
him as being so successful because even Jack says this in your chapter two, that you are really able to see how the emotions of the rest of the marketplace are kind of driving their bus and your ability to not be driven by that is what helps you really see that. It's just, that's so fascinating to me, Jason, that the emotional kind of hold everybody else is in the throes of is what you're observing and then using your style to be informed by. It's amazing to me that not anymore, but something that's so amazing to me that even if you just think Jack's books, right, where he interviews some of the most successful traders that have ever lived, right? First few market with yeah. right? and, and, the, and they lay it out for you. You know, don't fight the market. Don't think you're smarter than the market. Don't do this. Don't do that. And yet people continually, continuously do that. So I look for that, knowing that don't fight the market is the answer. I look for people that are fighting the market. And I try to take the opposite side of them. And they are, they're all over the place because people want to be smart. And that's a, a, a wonderful thing to be that is smart. But there's a lot of people that are in the markets that are smart. So I think you're going to beat the markets by being smart in, in the traditional sense. You, you've got another thing coming to you, I think. You know, and I think I will we'll prove that all the time. This year has been the perfect example of that. Anybody paying attention to macroeconomic fundamentals knows that you don't buy the stock market here, right? You don't buy the stock market. And meanwhile, it's done really nothing but go up all year, right? And all it's done for these people is get them to sell more and hate it more. Um, that's really, I've made, I, mean, I trade 37 different markets of which four are stock indices, but I've made a good part of my year this year being long stock. And it's not like, because I think the stock market to buy because companies are undervalued or interest rates or the Fed or whatever the hell is going on. It has nothing to do with that. It has to put all of these people who are smart, want to sell this market. All the market does is go up. Now, if all the market was going to go down, I wouldn't be buying it, right? It's a combination of fading those people when the market is telling them that they're wrong and they refuse to acknowledge that they're wrong. How often is the ego blinding people from what the reality is? Every single second, every single day. <laughs> yeah. You talk about market positioning and market action and that both of those are critical. Would you just talk more about that, please? Yeah, so, you know, when I say I'm trying to be contrarian and I'm trying to fade the masses, one thing is, yes, listening to what they're saying and on TV and all that, but the other thing is looking at data looking at things that commit with a trader that shows where the positioning is and looking to be opposite, you know, mass sort of consensus on, on that positioning. And then not just doing it for the hell of it, doing it when the market starts to confirm that, right? So like I say, as bad news is coming out, if everybody's already short and bad news is coming out and the market is not going down, that's the market sort of confirming that. So those are the two things I look for. One, everybody to be short. Two, the market should not go down on bad news or news that should be bearish according to the experts. And that's what I'm doing. The market is telling me these people are about to be very wrong. And, and, and that's really what I'm doing. You talk about the word despite is such an important word. Explain what you mean by that. So like, that's the whole thing with the market confirmation thing. It's like, 
despite CPI coming out three times bigger than people were expecting, the market closed up today. Okay. Well, despite, is that because nobody saw that the CPI number was larger than expected? I, I don't think that that's the case. I think everybody sees the, the, what, the, what the numbers are, right? So I see that word despite a lot when that kind of thing happens. And I want to go with the despite. It's not like, oh, the, and I put, they'll say this, like I see NBC, you know, oh, the market doesn't get it. People don't get it. The number was bigger. Well, people get it. Hey, everybody knows. <laughs> people managing money that are watching these numbers and, and know what the implications are for these numbers, right? Um, I had one guy from my um, kid that started trading and he, he's on my Discord and he, he's really starting to understand what, what, what we're getting at. And he said, well, he was at my house one day because he fixes my computer. And on the TV, a guy said that. He's like, you know, the market doesn't get it. And he looked up, he goes, the market is it, okay? So it, don't somebody the market is it because the market is it. That's a shout out to my boy, RCM Cap, who uh, has been a great contributor to uh, what we're doing on the Discord and everything. Beautiful, beautiful. But it's, it's awesome because you've trained him to listen for that. It's, it's, it's what, what is top phrase, Jason? The uh, cognitive dis- dissonance. That, when, that, when that statement is said, when the kid says, like, thanks to your teaching, the market is it. Like, it's such cognitive dissonance, isn't it? Well, the amazing thing is that he has grasped it because, trust me, there's a lot of people that don't. Yeah. The majority of people that don't, don't grasp that. Now, maybe he's young enough. I don't know. But, or maybe he's just open minded enough. Or maybe he just wants to make money enough and has observed it. <laughs> but I'd say 75% of the people don't grasp that concept. You know, they still yeah. grasp the concept of, yeah, the market doesn't get it. I know better than them. Yep, for sure. If you guys are enjoying this conversation with Jason, please take note that this is part two. The Wall Street Coach podcast is the podcast I host. Part one will be dropped in approximately a week with Jason, and this is part two. I host a podcast and I coach a select group of traders and entrepreneurs and help to de- define and secure success. And Jason has an amazing room called Crowded Market Reports. That's where you can sign up to learn more. There's one part that we we were talking about earlier that I just kind of want to revisit where you talked about how your inner core is a contrarian, that you have a tendency to be able to see the other side of any argument and that that really suits uh, your, your trading style is suited by your personality style. I just think that's such an important part of every trader's education is to find what strategy suits them. Just tell us again how long that took you to mesh with your temperament, with your strategy. I think I always tried to do that because that's always been how I've approached life, but it didn't always work because, uh, as the saying goes, there's a fine line between being contrarian and just being stupid, right? So I had to develop the discipline of when to be contrarian. Just because the market's going up doesn't mean it's a sell. Because the market's going down doesn't mean the contrarian players to buy. You have to be disciplined about A, looking at positioning, at least for me, and B, waiting for the market to confirm the idea. You know, you can't just get in the way, right? It, it took probably a decade to fish that whole thing out, but that's how we do it now. Well, you talked about neutral readings and the importance of it. Talk a little bit about that. About what? I'm sorry? Neutral reading. Neutral reading. 
I suspect you were talking about how to be neutral with whatever information is being put in front and not being attached. Yeah, I mean, I think bias is the issue here. And as an example, I can sit here and make, I think, a very cognitive argument about how the world and America as we know it and everything is going to go into huge decline here. And I love the argument. And it, when I write it, I write it a lot because it keeps it in my mind. I, I can come up with the most bearish argument of anybody, okay? These people were talking about, oh, the market could go and retest, you know, last year's lows. I'm talking about the S&P could drop, you know, 80 to 90%. And I can convince you of that, I think, because I can make a pretty good argument about it. But you know what? I've been long the stock market all year. So I'm not letting my bias affect how I'm trading. I'm trading the market that's in front of me. And would I love to see the market top out so I can get short and catch this big crash up? Sure. But if I had been trying to do that this year, I'd be getting my ass handed to me. And I, I can't afford to get my ass handed to me because if I do that, my clients are going to pull their money and I'm not going to have anything to do. So that, that's an example of not your bias get in the way of making money. So how does an average trader who maybe isn't taking care of other people's money, what is the measuring stick they can use for themselves to course correct if their bias is in control of them? It's going to take care of itself in time because your P&L is going to go negative. And while you can sit here and stay biased and say, oh, that's just temporary and I'm just wrong for a little while, eventually you're going to keep losing money and then you're going to have to make a choice. Do I want to keep proving to the world that I'm right? Or do I want to start making money? And while money is not the be all and end all of everything, as a trader, that's what we're trying to do, make money. As a human being, hopefully we're trying to do other things, you know, help people make the world a better place, you know, whatever. But as a trader, we're trying to make money. So eventually you're going to have to come to the conclusion if you want to continue trading, that making money is more important than proving your bias is correct. You talked about how you have, I, you suggest that traders identify those that are reliably wrong. Talk more about that. I mean, to me, that's the lowest hanging fruit there is, right? A, a very large percentage. You're talking about in the 90 something percentile of traders lose money over time. So why not just get, take the money that they're losing for lack of a better word? <laughs> yeah. And everybody is lined up the same way and everybody is talking the same way. Then there's a pretty high probability that that's going to be wrong. Now, that's just math. So why not look to go the other way and make the money that they're about to lose? It doesn't make you smart. It doesn't, you know, like I say, it's not great cocktail party ducking, but who cares if it makes you money? That's what we're trying to do here. Let me see if I get this other quote you have in Jack Schwager's book. And Jack, just a shout out to Jack Schwager for staying on top of you to get you in that book, Jason, because you repeatedly turned him down. You repeatedly said you didn't want to be in the book. And I'm so glad you changed your mind. So good for Jack, who is just such the salt to the earth for enrolling you in being in this book. I am thankful as well, because what it led to, it, it ended up leading to this, uh, you know, crowded market report thing. And, and that's really been a, uh, 
a really positive influence in my life. So I thank Jack for, for convincing me and sticking on me as well. He's just such a special man. And I first met him over, God, 10 years ago. I was, I had read his book, Market Wizards, the first ones. And this is just a quick moment to give a shout out to a man who's impacted so many traders. Jack is just, he's so humble. He is so incredibly egoless. And he just really is fascinated by trading. And if you haven't read Jack Swager's, all of his books, I highly recommend it, every single one of them. And especially this one because Jason's featured in it. But when I first reached out to Jack, when I was writing my book, Transforming Wall Street, I was a nervous wreck. I didn't even think he would talk to me. And he was so gracious and so welcoming. Like, it, it was shocking to me how generous he was. And yet that's how he's been for these past 10 years. And every trader I talked to who's ever gotten to know him says the same thing. He's really quite a special person. Jack's a good guy. And I would add to what you said, if you haven't read his books, in particular for me, the first three books, then what I would do is close out any position that I have on right now and <laughs> those three books this weekend. Because to me, the, the, everything you need to know about how to make money in the markets is in those first three and this is not to put down the other ones, you know, stock market wizards. I'm not a stock trader. The stock market wizard necessarily do anything for me. But the first three books, which I think were Market Wizards, Market Wizards 2, and then, or I think it's called New Market Wizards, and then Hedge Fund Market Wizards. Yep. Everything yep. you would ever need to know about how to make money in the markets is right in those three books. So, so true. He has so many books, but I would start, I think that's so true, Jason. Those are the top three ones to start with. And listen to Jack too. He's on so many podcasts. He's certainly on my podcast. There's so many conversations that Jack just, he just got to see. And that's part of what's so fascinating about his interview with you, Jason, is that he said, and I talked about this in part one, of our first conversation just a few minutes ago, but you, Jason, exploit the flaw in the emotion-based trading decisions of the other participants. And that's what he found fascinating about you. It's all because of what's, what's said in his book. I mean, to me, it's pretty simple. You, you have a book with Bruce Kovner, with, you know, Michael Marcus, with, you know, some of the most successful traders, Michael Flax in, in one of the books some of the most successful traders of our time. And they're telling you how to do this, right? <laughs> yep. it, what? You know, and what? It's, the things that I speak about, I didn't invent this stuff, that they're coming from there. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to call myself a thief, but I took these ideas and then I've observed them. I, I've watched them. I've watched them work. So therefore, to me, my trading process is all, at least in my eyes, just a conclusion of those three books. That's really all it is. Don't fight the tape. You know, be contrarian. Don't fight the tape. It, it, it's all in there. When when you first read Market Wizards, I'm presuming you read them in sequence. What do you remember? What happened for you as you began to read that book? Just about it opening your eyes to becoming a trader. Oh, I remember specifically. I I started just like many young kids. I was in Hong Kong at the time. I was bored in my job. I had a friend who was a broker. I opened up an account. I put on a trade. I had no idea what I was doing. I went out, you know, and this is coming off of college when the last few years of my college, I used to read a lot. So that was always my first go-to. I went to the bookstore, tried to buy a book about trading to figure out what the hell it was all about. The book that was there was Market Wizards. It looked kind of cool. It, you know, this is when it first came out. So it wasn't like the legend that it is now. 
but it looked kind of cool. Had a picture of a wizard, had a bunch of traders that, you know, were successful. So I'm like, okay. And I started reading it right after lunch and, uh, I didn't go to sleep till I was done. And I woke up in the morning and said, yeah, this is where I'm going. This makes sense to me. This is where I'm going. And a lot of it was the romantic part of it of, Hey, if you can make money in the market, so you don't have to listen to anybody and you don't have to, you know, work for any jerks or anything like that, which is not a hundred percent true, but part of it was that. And part of it was, it just kind of made sense to me with it, what these guys were saying, you know, it made sense to the way that, that I kind of like to think I approach life, you know, be contrarian, this, let the market tell you what to do. Don't tell the market what to do. And even within knowing that it still took me 10 years to actually get the discipline to do it. But yes, I, I remember that very specifically. And I probably read that book in that first year, probably read that book 15 times. Wow. That's to Makes sense. So the, that one came out and then I read that one 15 times. It's so great. All right. Questions. Does anybody have any questions for Jason? Just press that little button on your face and we'll get you guys here to ask any questions of him. One of the people that you quote, you talk about Livermore, you make your money in the sitting. Talk a little bit about that and just raise your hands, guys, if you have questions. That's a question for me. You make money in the sitting? Yes. That was one of you. You quoted Livermore in your conversation with Jack. Yeah. So I, it goes back to the story that I tell that I went to, I was in business school and I was um, trading while I was in business school and kind of in and out, in and out kind of thing. And I was sort of slogging it out and making a little bit of money. And I ended up with this long position at the time in the Hang Seng Index. And I, I was going to Africa for three weeks and this was pre-cell phone and sort of pre-internet. So I knew I wasn't going to be in touch. So I just said to my broker, like, here's my stop. Otherwise, if I don't get hit on my stop, then I'll talk to you in three weeks. And I called him in three weeks and the market was up like, I don't know, 15, 20% in three weeks. And I made more money in those three weeks than I made in the six months prior jobbing in and out in the market. And so there was the lesson. I had no idea. And during those two weeks, okay, the market went up 15% or whatever, but there were plenty of days when it was down. I'm sure, you know, it didn't go up every day, but I had no idea that it was down because I was like in the middle of the Serengeti. So that was a, a huge lesson for me. I made more money in those three weeks than I made in the thick month because I, I couldn't see what was going on. And so that really helped to develop my process if I buy something and I'm still. Did you notice that at the, at that moment? Was it, was it crystal clear to you as you came back from that trip, that that sitting, that that not being able to be active contributed to that being, being so up? I mean, again, all I had to do was look at my P&L. I sat there job in the market. You know, I was traditionally trading like every kind of taking positions for like a day or two, three days kind of thing. And I had developed a certain skill in that. So at least I wasn't, I made a little bit of money that, but I, I made two and a half times the amount of money in three weeks and I made in six months. So yes, it's crystal clear because the P&L talk, like, what am I doing every day? <laughs> if, if I just made that, you know, more money doing that. Right. So why, and if you look at a chart of a market, uh, look at the Dow chart right now or the, the NASDAQ chart or whatever. I guarantee you, you would have made more money just buying the NASDAQ at the beginning of this year and holding it till now than you've made trading around everything in and out and back and forth and, and all this, right? So, yes, so, very clear. It's awesome. If you guys are enjoying this conversation, please share the love that we're talking to Jason, Shap Jason Shapiro, unknown market wizard from Jack Swagger's book, runs a room called Crowded Market Report. We do have a question from JR. Please ask your questions. 
Thanks for listening. Ah, thanks for having these conversations. I love it. I've been trading for three years. It's all just uh, clicked this last uh, probably two months where the emotion's gone and everything. But basically, my question is uh, pertaining to the tape. That's the one thing that's eluded me. I can't seem to... The tape does everything opposite of what I think it does. And so how important is the tape? And do you have any good resources for learning how to read that? I think you just said it all. The tape does opposite of what you think it's given. <laughs> and, and quite frankly, the tape does the opposite of what I think it's going to do too, right? But that's what you want to listen to. It, 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 it's that symptom, right? That, to me, the tape is all about how is it reacting to the inputs, right? You get, sure, you're following the market enough, whatever market you're trading, the stock market, but you're, you're trading it enough to know what the inputs are, inflation bad, you know, whatever, right? So if inflation bad and an inflation number comes out, that's bad and the market doesn't go down, that's the tape talking. And people get confused because, okay, sometimes a bad, let's call it a bad number, a bearish number will come out and the market goes down. To me, there's no information there, right? Okay, a bearish number came out, the market went down. All right, that's what's supposed to happen. A bullish number came out and the market went up. Okay, there's no information to me there. I'm not gonna try and guess what the number is going to be beforehand because I have no ability to do that, right? What's the employment number going to be? I have no idea and neither do you and neither does anybody, right? The question is, how does the market react to it? That's, to me, that's the tape and that's how you read the tape, right? Look for the things that it shouldn't do. Most of the time we'll do what it should do. Bearish number, market goes down, okay, no information. But bearish number, market doesn't go down. That's, the, that's information and that's how you read the tape to me. Thank you. Awesome, JR. Thanks for that great question. We have a question on Twitter, Jason. Adam is asking, given the weakness in the labor market data this week and the stock market is moving lower, would you view this as a new failure? That's a good question because yesterday was sort of, that was the change yesterday. But to me, is the stock market really going to go forward? I mean, the Dow's up today. But if you look at the positioning stuff, what the positioning stuff has been saying now for the last two weeks is that people have chased the NASDAQ, right? And we know that they have because we listen to everybody and they're saying, you know, they're, the, the, the story is because of the whole banking thing, people are, 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 are flight to safety. And the idea of safety is these large cap tech stocks because they have a lot of cash and blah, blah, blah. So people have flown into that. So to me, that's why the NASDAQ isn't going up anymore. Now, if you look at the Dow positioning, People are super short the Dow, which is why the Dow, in my view, continues to keep going up, right? So I guess the answer is yes. If I were looking to be bearish, yesterday would have been my new failure day. And what I'd be looking to short is where people are the least short, which is the Russell. So I can't do it because my, my process doesn't allow me to, so I'm still long the Dow. But if I were looking to be short, I'd be short the Russell on yesterday's news and I'd be stopping out if it went through yesterday's high. I cannot get short because I still think that people are still way too bearish and I still hear and every day the people who have been bearish all year because of the, their ability to read fundamentals apparently better than everybody else, they're still bearish and they're stubbornly bearish and they're dug in bearish. So I cannot short that, which doesn't mean the market can't go down. It's just going to go down without me. 
You can find Jason on CrowdedMarketReport.com. Jason, of course, was featured in Unknown Market Wizards by Jack Schwager. My name is Kim Ann Curtin, the Wall Street Coach. I host, host a podcast and do these Twitter spaces a few times a month. Part one of Jason's conversation with me will come out in about a week or two on my podcast, Wall Street Coach. Please subscribe to that so you can hear the whole conversation. Please raise your hand if you guys have any questions or put your question on Twitter and I can ask Jason for you. Jason, you talk about having a systemized program, but on occasion you'd override it. How did you design that for yourself to trust your instinct that on occasion you will override something you've created? Talk a little bit about that. So it's really just a question of, I've been trading this process for a long time. And as I have done that, I have hopefully started to learn where the weaknesses are in the process. So when I see something where it might say, okay, you're supposed to buy here. And I'm like, well, I've kind of seen this before. And a lot of times it doesn't work. And given what my portfolio is right now here, I'm super long risk. And this thing's telling me to get even more long risk. Do I really need to put this trade in? Right. And the answer is usually no. I, I tend to err to the side of being uh, conservative. I, I don't like to lose my, no one likes to lose money, but my clients bitch at me all the time because I theoretically should be more leveraged and I should make more money than I'm making and all that. But I, I, I tend to err to the side of not losing money, which I think is an important first step to making money, right? That, that seems obvious, but you know, as I go through my returns and I look at my returns over time, a, a, a big part of it is when you're making money, not to be making back drawdowns because that gets you nowhere. So that's kind of why I sometimes will override these signals, mostly because my portfolio is already, you know, if I'm already long stocks and long NASDAQ and long Dow or whatever, and have a, other risk trades on that are correlated to that, and I get another one, and that one historically I've seen has not necessarily been that great, then I'll just say, forget it. And listen, I, I did that this month and I missed two great trades, okay? But so what? It happens. Beautiful. We have a question here from Thor. Great. It's only in retrospect that they were great trades. You know what I mean? Yes. Hindsight is twenty twenty, right? Yeah. If I had to do over again, I would have put them on, but <laughs> Thor, and ask your question. Right. So my question is, like, I've watched the whole of Jason's interviews, like every other. And I've never really heard him talk about like where he discovered this style of trading. Was there a specific experience? Did you learn from someone else? Or like, well, yeah. Yes. You know, it, it was a thing over time. Like I say, a bunch of it was from the whole Market Wizards book where they talk a lot about contrarianism and, and all that type of thing. But the way that I kind of found the COT data, which I use a lot now, was, you know, in late 99, when the stock market was exploding higher, and, uh, you know, that was the first internet bubble. Well, it's only a bubble in retrospect, but it was the first internet boom at that time. And it, it kind of, to me, had the classic signs. You walked around the street and the shoeshine boy was giving stock tips. You know, I mean, literally that was happening. Everybody was talking about how much money they were making in the stock market. It's all anybody was talking about. And I'm sitting there going, this is going to crash. And being young and stupid, I am not going to miss it. So. I was shorting the thing from like August. Well, from August to January, I think the Nasdaq went up another 50%, you know? So, and then, okay, in January it topped and then we had sort of the big bear market and all that stuff. But 
I was way early, uh, which is why I say, you know, being contrarian, being stupid, there's a fine line, right? And at that time I was just stupid. So I started looking for how I could have avoided that. And I looked at, I found the COT data and saw that when you ran the COT data, it didn't show that people were super long stocked until January of 2000, which means I would have avoided shorting the stock market that whole time that I was trying to short it and losing money. Right. And that struck a chord in me like, man, that would help. Tell so, me what the COT data is just in case there's anybody that doesn't know. The COT data is commitments of traders data, which is something that the CFTC puts out. They're the regulator for the futures markets. Every broker has to every week send them the positioning of their clients. And then they produce it every week for us to stay. And it breaks it down into the different types of accounts there are, which are basically hedging accounts and everybody else who are speculating it. So that's the data that I, I use a lot. And that's into it because I found that would have got me. And, and the COT data, just like every other piece of data is not perfect. It doesn't work all the time. I like to say at market turns, you will find that people are super crowded. But you will also find there are times when people are super crowded and the market doesn't turn. It's just like anything else, right? But I like to think that what it does, at the very least, is it keeps me out of trouble. Trying to fade a market like I was doing in 99, it, it wouldn't allow me to do that until January, right? So it, it, if nothing else, it keeps me out of trouble, which, like I say, is an important thing. Please let us know if you have any questions, you can put them in Twitter or you can raise your hand here to ask Jason directly. That was a great question. Well, I really loved it because this was part of what we talked about in part one, Jason and I, about his contrarian nature. Personally, we talked a little bit in part one about his childhood. We talked about some sober awakenings that he had in his youthful, adventure-filled days, but that his contrarian nature is is part of what informs this style and his you talk Jason at length about how traders have to find the strategy that suits their temperament and I think that's just overlooked by a lot of traders and you even say that to people in your room hey don't just duplicate what I'm doing here I try very hard like in our on the crowd market report to instill on people like you know, people want to want it easy, right? Hey, here's this guy, you know, he was in Market Wizards, oh, and he hasn't lost money in 20 years, I will, and he's telling us his trades, and why don't I just mimic him? And that's sort of the easy answer to do. But I, I find, and I believe, it, it's not going to work, right? Because it works for me, because I've been doing this a long time. I believe in the process, and it matches my personality, so it, it works for me. It, it's not really going to work for you doing that. First of all, it's silly, because what are you going to do when I'm not around? We like to say we're, we're trying to teach people how to fish rather than give them a fish, right? The more important thing for me is use this information that might be different than what you're looking at to help in your trading style, not mimicking my trading style. Because and people are always like, well, don't, aren't you afraid that you're giving away your, you know, your secret sauce and everyone's going to do it and it's going to arb it out? And my answer is no, because I've been talking to people for this year about this for 20-something years. If you don't believe it... And it's that religion to you, you're not going to be able to do it, right? And, and I see plenty of trades that people try to, they mimic me and they'll get on a trade with me, but they'll be out way before I am, right? Because they just can't help. Here you go. I just made whatever, 150 points on the S&P in a week. I'm taking it. Well, that's not what I'm doing. You know, I'm waiting until my processes get out, right? And in particular with this type of trade, 
you need to have those big winners because it doesn't work all the time. So you want small losers, big winners. You know, my trades tend to work about 38% of the time, I think is the number over the last 20 years, but they pay out, you know, four, five to one. So I'll lose three and then I'll make five and then I'll lose two and I'll make five and I'll lose three and I'll make five. And over time that adds up. But if you don't have them all on, like we had the trade ration where I've been long the Dow and I've been short gold. Well, we got run over in gold and lost money, but have made a crap load of money in the Dow and, and long the NASDAQ growing this year. And I have a bunch of people that are just short the gold, but couldn't get long the stock. Okay. Well, that's not trading this process. So if you're going to mimic me, you know, you have to do it the right way, right? Because the nature of the beast is you'll end up taking the trades that are more comfortable and those are the ones that are going to lose, right? So. I think that's the point. You have to do you because you're going to be a lot more comfortable doing you. And I do some videos on YouTube as well. I talked about it a few weeks ago. Let's say you're a trend follower. Well, the trend followers got run over last, last month. And the major reason was because the bond move, right? That happened. They were all short bonds. And then the whole banking thing came and bonds ripped. Okay. I was long bonds. That's great. But you don't have to long bond. If you're a trend follower and you're short bonds, and you see that the stuff is majorly crowded, at the very least, you could reduce your bond position be like, this is crowded, right? And we've seen over time that crowded positions can cause major problems when they go the other way. At the very least, you could have looked at that data and been like, maybe I shouldn't be so short bonds here, right? And it would have helped you a lot. So that, well, if you, you know, being you, but using this information to help you. You can find Jason on YouTube on Crowded Market Report as well. And you can find my podcast, Wall Street Coach, which will have two parts. Part one we did by Zoom video, and this will be edited down to be part two. If you guys have any questions, we're going to wrap this up in a minute. I've kept Jason way beyond what I expected to, but there's just so much good juice here. Any comments about just SVB's collapse and just kind of your take on what is happening with financial institutions. <laughs> you know, you, 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 you get what you pay for. <laughs> These guys were taking, <laughs> taking this risk. I mean, uh, I, I'm not a big fundamental guy, but you know, there's a risk in the world as well. It, it, it's great. You, you loan money to startups run by 23 year olds who are going to take over the world. And, 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 and when it works, it, it's wonderful, but. When it doesn't work, it, it, it's not so wonderful. You know, there, there's risk and reward. To me, they shouldn't just let them die. Like nobody bails me out when I make a bad decision and I lose. I take risk all the time. When my risk goes bad, nobody bails me out. So to me, they should have let them all die, but that's just me. <laughs> and then, you know, I, I freaked out because the, the people were coming on Twitter saying, you know, oh, we, we can't make payroll because of the bank. And, you know, if you want to help, then, you know, give us some money and, you know, so that we can make payroll. These are families and hey, that, yeah. that's wonderful. But you know what? Don't hire people if you can't afford to pay them. Just like everybody else. The, the plumber down the street here doesn't buy, you know, 50 trucks and hire 50 crews and, and, and until he can pay him. He buys one truck, makes enough money that he feels like he can buy another truck and hire a crew, makes enough money and maybe he can buy another truck. But these people over there, for whatever reason, think that they can just endlessly borrow money and endlessly fund billion dollar losses. I, I don't have a lot of sympathy for it. I'm sorry for the families that can't make payroll, but 
You know what I mean? Give them some more stock options for all I care. All right. So we're going to close with your fascinating. And we just started to talk a little bit about this in part one, your meditation experience with Burman, Burmanese, uh, Burmese monks. Am I saying that right? Burmese monks. And how long did you do that meditation for? And what does that meditation practice look like now? And how does it serve you as a trader? So, yeah, you know, I was traveling um, through Southeast Asia. I went to Burma. I went to this place uh, called Inlay Lake, which is in the middle of Burma. It had a, a monastery in it. I was just there as a, as a tourist. One of the monks came over to me and started talking to me in perfect English, which was kind of cool. And I ended up staying for about three weeks and, you know, shaving my head and putting on a robe and basically learning for three weeks how to, uh, live on alms and, um, and spend the whole day meditating. I, I think. It really taught me the, well, it taught me how to meditate and it, and it taught me the importance of, of meditation. And, and that's really what I, I took mostly out of that. And uh, I try to meditate on a, on a daily basis now, you know, first thing I do when I wake up in the morning, you try to do some meditation. And if I have a particularly, uh, crappy day and I try to do it at night too, to calm my brain down, it's all about, for me, trading is all about process. And it's one thing to have a process. It's another thing to take discipline process. This is all about discipline. Trading is discipline, as one of my mentors once said to me. It is nothing else. So meditating can help to clear your mind so that you can stay focused so that you can stay disciplined. That, that's how it helped my trading, I believe. You also seem to have walked away from that experience at the monastery with the clarity around the experience that we all have as humans of being never satisfied always satisfied. Talk a little bit about that and how money isn't everything. You speak a little bit of that too. I, I think that's very important. And I've had people tell me like, oh, you can say that money isn't that important because now you have money. Okay, maybe, but there've been plenty of times where I haven't had money and money cuts both ways and being satisfied. I once had a boss, I worked for a hedge fund and this guy is very well known and he's a multi-billionaire. And he gave us a big speech about, uh, how you should never be satisfied. You know, you have to continually come up with ideas and continually come up with ways to make money and, and you should never, ever be satisfied. And I was like, I ended up quitting three days later, but if you're never going to be satisfied, well, then what's the point? Let's <laughs> put a gun to your head and pull the trigger, right? Uh, I come from the belief that you should always be satisfied. Hi today, live in the moment. It's very hard to do. We know that, but at least try to live in the moment. You know, one of the great things I found about kids, I live in this world of freighting and P and L and, you know, you have a great P and L day, you're happy as hell. And you have a shitty P and L day, you're mad as hell. And it's a horrible thing, but with kids, they, they could care less. You know, I, I used to come home with my children, obviously didn't know the first thing about it. Right. They could care less whether I had a P&L gate or bad day. Daddy was home and they were looking for my attention and they were looking to give me love and looking for me to give them love. And, you know, that was a very important thing, right? That's, without sounding too corny, that, that's what's important here. You know, making money is great and it's necessary so that you can put food on, on the table and all that. But I saw a great quote from a guy a couple of weeks ago who, I forget his name, but he was a big tree and he made like all kinds of hundreds of millions of dollars and, and like giving a lot of it away. And he ended up killing himself because he was like in his eighties and he 
caught some kind of sickness and he didn't want to burden everybody. So he like jumped off a building and killed himself. But he had a quote where he said, the worst thing you can do with money is spend it. And I agree with that. I found because it's never enough. We were thinking about putting a pool in my house when we moved into this house and I ended up not doing it because I'm like, where does it end? Now you want a pool. Okay. Now what? Well, now you want to build an extension to your house. Now what? Well, now you want to do it. It never ends, right? Ever. So why not just live humbly, good life, and what the more he talked about, about money. You know, I, I, my brother wants to retire um, and he was talking to me about, oh, he needs this and he needs that. I'm like, you don't need any of that. You want to, re- but you want to have, you know, three houses. Like, uh, well, which one do you really want? It, it's all a function of what you need in life. Right. If you need less, then you can retire now extremely profitably. Right. So, yeah. To me, Beautiful. that's the airplane. Need, need less because you really don't need a lot. Yes. Say this to me all the time. I, I drive an old car. I live in a normal house. I spend money on anything. Right now, I'm wearing a shirt. Sure. I bought at a concert when I was in high school. <laughs> It was a long time ago. Who's the concert? Who's the concert? You got to tell us the band. It's a dead shirt. Okay, good job. (laughs) Yeah. I'm just saying that the less you need, I can tell you from experience, at least for me, the the less you need, the happier you are. It's just, me, that's a fact. So... What a profound way to end this Twitter space, Jason. You are one extraordinary human being, not to mention trader. It's been such a pleasure to get to know you. We'll drop this two-part conversation with Jason Shapiro, the chapter two gentleman of the Unknown Market Wizards by Jack Schwaker. In a week or two, please sign up for the Wall Street Coach podcast, wherever you get your podcasts, and please check out Jason's Crowded Market Report. Jason, this has been such a fantastic conversation. And it's been also very inspiring for me personally. Just thank you for being who you are. This is really quite something. Yeah, fun talking to you. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. We'll see you guys soon. And thank you for listening. Thanks for your questions too. This has been the Wall Street Coach Podcast with Kim Ann Curtin. You can find out more about her and her team online at thewallstreetcoach.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please consider leaving a five-star review on iTunes. Thank you for listening.